0: You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and
1: tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host,
0: Robert Weinberg. Saturday morning to you, everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast, along with Rob Weinberg. I am Gary Byron. Well, good morning, Rob Weinberg. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you doing this morning?
0: Ah, boy. I'm I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. You know, I'm doing my best. It's tough. It's a daily struggle. You know always, what it's like. It's always. not easy. It's not easy, but I maybe easy for you. Not easy for me, man.
1: It's not easy at all. And I think uh, speaking of struggle, I know a lot of people struggle when it comes to understanding mortgages and they get um, just really overwhelmed with the prospect of getting a mortgage. So I thought a great topic for today's show, Gary, would be to really go back to basics. And I wanted to talk about Home Mortgages 101. And just really going down to the nitty-gritty basic level of what a mortgage is and how it works and what the process is all about. Cause a mortgage shouldn't be scary. And it's something that if you are trying to build your net worth and you're trying to build things out with real estate, you're gonna have to go through the process quite a few times in your lifetime. And you want it to be something that you're familiar with, you want it to be something that you're comfortable with, and that's what I really wanted to hone in on today.
0: Okay, then let's, I'm so glad that you were doing this as a topic. It's, we should actually do this maybe every two, two and a half months because we, I know this is a very popular show, we're always picking up new people that may have missed mm-hmm. this when it you know that when we did it a few months back yep. you know so it's if we're ever going to do a, a refresher or a repeat show this would certainly be one of the top 3 that I would I would repeat all the time because this show I know is growing all right so let's start with something very elementary then what are the four factors that go into a mortgage payment
1: all right so four factors you got your principal mm-hmm. interest taxes and insurance and the insurance would entail property insurance, flood insurance, as well as PMI or mortgage insurance, uh, which is entailed on some loans. So the principal is going to be the money going directly to the principal of your loan. The interest is money going to the bank Mm -hmm. as a right to them for letting you borrow the, the money. The taxes are your property taxes on the home. And then the insurance, like I said, that'd be your hazard insurance if something happened to the house, your flood insurance if you're in a flood zone, Uh, And the private mortgage insurance, or PMI, if you have the type of loan that requires that. Now, escrow accounts, the taxes and the insurance, are not on all mortgages. So let's talk about that for a second. The escrow, the taxes and insurance, are only going to be there if you are putting less than 20% down or if you're using a FHA loan, they're required in those circumstances. So even on an FHA or government loan, if you're putting down 50%, you still have the taxes and insurance. But if you're getting a conventional mortgage and you're putting more than 20% down, then you actually have the option if you would like taxes and insurance included in your mortgage or not. Everyone has a different, uh, different idea of whether they want that or not. For most people, especially those buying their first home though, Taxes and home insurance will be required to be in your payment.
0: What are the different types of mortgage products that are available?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of different products and a lot of people looking at mortgages for the first time think that it's like a one size fits all, you know, what's the rate, what's the payment and that's it. But there's actually quite a few different mortgage products out there. Let's dive into. So the first one's going to be your fixed rate mortgages. So those are going to be, you know, Uh, Saying the same for the entire term. Then adjustable rate mortgages, FHA loans through the Federal Housing Administration, VA loans through the Veterans Affairs, and USDA loans through the US Department of Agriculture. So like I said, fixed rate never changes. Adjustable rate is going to be fixed for an initial amount of time, and then it's going to adjust every certain amount of time. So an example would be like a 5-1 adjustable rate or a 5-5 adjustable rate. So the first number in that is going to be how long the fixed period is. So on a 5-1 program, it's going to be five years. So whatever rate you get is going to be fixed for the first five years. The second number is going to be how often it adjusts. So on a 5-1 adjustable rate mortgage, or 5-1 ARM as we refer to it as, Fixed for the first five years, then it's going to adjust once a year after that. On a 5-5 adjustable rate mortgage, it's going to be fixed for the first five years, and then it's going to adjust every five years after that. So that's where the adjustable mortgage is. We'll talk about that here in in a minute as far as if it's a good idea or not. FHA is is a government loan. It's backed by the Federal Housing Administration. Great loan, especially for first time home buyers. And one of the reasons is it's very forgiving when it comes to credit, has down payments as low as three and a half percent, even on multifamily homes, which is very rare. Mm. And it is typically going to be used, like I said, more for people with lower credit scores or people that have a high debt to income ratio. Uh, That's going to be a great loan for them. The VA, like I said, veteran affairs loan probably the best loan program in the country, but it's only for veterans and their spouses. So not anyone can get it. The reason why it's so great is no down payment required 100% financing, no PMI, there's no mortgage insurance on a monthly basis. So the payment on a VA loan is going to be a lot lower typically than any of these other loan programs, uh, you know, all else being equal. Then the USDA, like I said, U.S. Department of Agriculture, great loan program, no money down as well, but there's certain specifications you have to meet for that loan. So one of them is going to be it's only for certain areas, mainly rural areas. Um, also, there's an income limit, so if you're someone that makes more than a certain amount of money, depending on the area, you're not going to be able to get that loan. It's for more for underserved types of communities. So there's a limitation on income. There's also a loan limit on how much you can borrow, and there are in these other programs too. But it's more restrictive on the USDA Department of Agriculture loan. They don't want you buying a million dollar home with this thing, or a you know eight hundred thousand dollar home. In most areas, it's you know a few hundred thousand. In higher cost areas, it could be you know 4 or 500,000 but they don't want you buying a a mansion with a USDA loan. That's really not mm-hmm. what it's meant for. Um there are two other loan programs. I don't want to get into on today's episode, but I will just touch on what they are right, so give everyone us knows yeah. jumbo loans which are for higher net worth uh, higher income those would be multi-million dollar loans or loans above the limitations of these other programs jumbo. and then that's jumbo and then interest only loans which mm. aren't as popular today but they were very popular years ago those actually allow you just to pay interest on your loan. They can be dangerous, but for certain people, they're actually great loans because they allow you to have a lower payment because there's only interest being paid every month, not any principal. So those are all the different types of loan programs that are available really right now. Uh, Some are better than others. Everyone's in a different spot, but you're going to really want to get familiar with this and have your mortgage advisor explain which one of these is best for I you i can't
0: imagine why you w- wouldn't want to put any money towards principal but we'll, we'll another day uh, yep, i, I yep. heard the va loan is is really the hottest i mean if of course you have to qualify you got to be a veteran mm-hmm. of course but um i hear that the rates on va loans They're are
1: phenomenal yeah, i mean yeah. va loans like i said i believe it's the best loan in the country um for a lot of different reasons Uh, number one, no money down, no monthly PMI. They're very, very flexible with debt to income ratios. So you can borrow more money typically on a VA loan than you can on others. A VA loan looks at something called residual income where other loans don't. And that allows you to actually typically borrow a, a bit more money on that. Um, so those are the main reasons why. Also for refinancing, VA has some of the best refinance loans available, especially if you're looking to cash out equity or consolidate.
0: What about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? What, what are those? Those are the
1: you know fixed and adjustable rate uh, conventional loans that we were talking about. Okay. So they're the ones that will back those conventional loans.
0: The government uh, loans. Fannie
1: Mae and Freddie Mac are really not the government. I mean, I guess they're under conservatorship by the government due to the housing crisis, um, but they are like standalone entities. You can buy their stock you know, in the stock exchange. They are, I guess, controlled by the government nowadays because of the way that it's been done. But I've been hearing rumors that they may come out of conservatorship at some point. They've been saying it for years. I don't know oh. if that'll happen, <laughs> but as of right now, they are not government entities, but they're controlled by the federal government.
0: How is affordability calculated in regards to a new mortgage payment?
1: Sure. So affordability is really looking at how much can you afford versus your income. So mortgage companies and lenders are going to use something called DTI. That stands for a debt to income. It's a ratio. It's a calculation that we'll be looking at, which is your total monthly debts, and your total gross income, and how much does that entail? So there's a front-end debt ratio and a back-end debt ratio. The front-end ratio is just what your housing expense is. So that'd be your primary home, mortgage payment, property taxes, insurance, PMI if it's applicable. That's the front-end ratio. And then the back-end ratio is all of your debt, your student loans, your car loans, medical bills, anything that you're paying on on a monthly basis, credit card debt, et cetera, that's all gonna be looked at as far as what's your minimum monthly payment on those versus your gross income, okay? They're gonna come up with a ratio and then that is where they're gonna be able to you know tell you what your affordability is. So on all different loans there's different affordability. That's why it's not one size fits all. So conventional loans like we were talking about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, those are typically going to be capped at between a 45 and a 50% back end debt ratio. And it really is 45 to 50 cuz it depends. I've seen some people with lower credit where they can't get a little, even a little bit above 45%. I've seen people with excellent credit in the high 700s or 800s that can get loans approved on conventional all the way up to a 50% debt ratio. So that's phenomenal. Um, FHA, though, is really forgiving when it comes to debt ratios because the FHA loan, which is really popular with the first-time buyer crowd, they're going to allow you to go up to 46.99% on that front end, whereas conventional, like we said, is only 45 in a lot of cases. Um, They'll allow you to go up to 46.99. And then the back end ratio on FHA, you can go all the way up to 56.99%. Had many clients get approved all the way up to that threshold. Whereas on the conventional loan, you're maxed out at 50. Like no matter what, you're maxed out at 50, even if you have perfect credit. So now you see why the FHA can be a lot better, especially for first-time buyers, people with other debt, student loans and whatnot that are really trying to get into their first home. VA, like we were talking about, is phenomenal because they don't have a maximum debt ratio. Mm. I've seen VA loans get approved through the automated underwriting system on Veteran Affairs with even 70, 75% debt ratios. I've heard a client or a colleagues of mine in other areas of the country have veterans getting approved with even up to 80% debt ratio I've heard. And you'd go, why? That makes no sense. Well, it's That's risky. Yeah. risky. It's not because the VA uses something called residual income. Okay, residual income is how much money do you have left over after. after all of your expenses are paid? And they actually calculate in home maintenance, utilities, things like that, that other loans don't calculate in. They do. So they figure even if you have a high debt ratio, if you have a lot of residual income, then you're a higher degree probability that you're gonna make that mortgage payment. VA loans are actually one of the best performing loans with the lowest default rates because they use this residual income. And it's based on household size. It's also based on what area of the country you're in. So the Northeast has a higher residual income requirement than the Southeast, right? Where the cost of living is lower. The last one I'll touch on before we go to the next uh, topic here is the USDA loan, the Department of Agriculture phenomenal loan, but like I said, there's a lot of restrictions. One of the big restrictions on that, Gary, is the debt to income ratio they'll allow is only going to be around 29% on the front end is all they want with a 41% maximum end ratio. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen some people get higher if they have really, really good credit or reserves or, or whatnot, but You know, it's it's a little bit more difficult on the USDA. They're a little bit more picky about that because it is a government backed loan and they want the people that are getting those loans to really, uh, you know, have the wherewithal to be able to pay them back and perform well when it comes to making their monthly payment.
0: I've heard you mention the word amortization. Um, There's people who've heard this word over and over and over again. I, I think I understand what it is, but I, I, I know there's several people who have heard the word and maybe not have an understanding of it. So if you can just explain what amortization is and how it relates to d- different mortgage terms.
1: Sure. So an amortization, the definition is it's a repayment schedule over a period of time. It's going to show you how much money is going to interest versus how much is going to principal. When you take out a mortgage, you're actually going to get an amortization schedule It's going to be several pages long and it will show every single month from month one all the way till the end of the mortgage, how much is going to interest and how much is going to principal, escrow, et cetera. Okay. So... One of the things about mortgages is that mortgage interest is front loaded. So you're going to pay more in the beginning of the mortgage than you will at the end of the mortgage. In interest. In interest. Exactly. The payment stays the same, but the amount that's going to interest every month, a little bit more goes to principal. But when you start out a mortgage, especially a 30-year mortgage like almost the entire payment is going to interest. It's a, a huge percentage. But as you pay that loan down, as you amortize it down over time, more and more of your money starts going to principal and it feels a little better when you get that statement in the mail, you see that a higher percentage of your payment. Now there are ways to change the amortization schedule. There are ways to reconfigure it um, that will you know we can talk about here. I guess we can say, prepaying the principal is a big way to do it. So if your mortgage payment's 1,000 a month and you send in 1,200, that extra few hundred dollars can go to principal. That will actually go and skew that table, that amortization into your favor. Because when they give you the paperwork at closing, when you take the mortgage, it's based on you making the minimum every month. They don't know that in month six, you're gonna pay an extra 500 or in month 81, you're gonna put 5,000 on it. Okay,
0: if you made a double payment twice a year, how would that affect your mortgage?
1: So it depends on the mortgage balance, the interest rate and other things, but typically it's it is going to take several years off the mortgage. Um, the most recent example I saw, I think it was a 30-year mortgage, they were making bi-weekly payments and it took a 30-year mortgage down to 24 years by just making a bi-weekly payment Once, instead of making a normal monthly payment.
0: For how in bi You said bi-weekly?
1: Bi-weekly. So it's every, every other, other week. week instead of making it once a month. For one year? No, for the entire term of the mortgage. If you only do it once or one year, then it's just like making an extra 100, 500, whatever it's. The example I'm talking about here where it took a 30-year mortgage down to 24 years was making biweekly payments for the entire term of the mortgage. When it comes to these prepayment strategies, you want to do it as a, uh, you know, something a long term over time, not just one time, ideally. Um, So biweekly payments, you said, and then mortgage acceleration. So that could be. Using a HELOC strategy, we've talked about in other episodes. Taking a shorter-term mortgage, like refinancing into a 15-year mortgage, something like that, or just making those extra payments, like we were talking about on the principal. A,
0: a little while ago, you had mentioned about an adjustable rate to, uh, over a fixed, and I, I, I have to revisit that because you said there were actually some advantages of that. I don't know of any, but that's why you're the export uh, expert. Excuse me. So, what are the advantages then of taking a, an adjustable rate mortgage over a fixed? Well, we I can't need to look I'm at the
1: the question, how do adjustable rates work? So the reason why adjustable rates can be attractive is because they typically have lower interest initially. They are higher risk long-term, but let's talk about what are the situations where an adjustable rate actually makes more sense. Because believe it or not, a lot of my higher net worth clients do choose adjustable rate mortgages. Um, So one big reason why it would make sense to take an adjustable rate is if you only plan on keeping the mortgage a short amount of time. So, for example, if a 30 year fixed mortgage is at 4% and a five year adjustable rate or a five one arm is at three and a quarter percent, well, if you knew that you were going to sell that house in three years, then wouldn't it make sense to take that lower rate? Well, yeah. Exactly. So, where people get caught up in the adjustable rate is the horror stories from years ago where you took an adjustable rate. Let's say back then we were even doing two-year and three-year loans. Now the lowest I've seen is really a five-year. I mean, I've seen a three-year that's very very, very seldom, but five year. So a lot can happen in five years. You can get a job promotion, you can make more money, you can have a career change, you can be moving, selling the house, doing all different things. Maybe you have a plan to refinance and put your kid through college using the equity in your home. These are all reason why an adjustable rate might make sense for the right person. Hmm. But an adjustable rate, you really need to begin with the end in mind. If you're just doing it for the low rate, it's going to end in disaster. If you're doing it as part of an overall financial plan, if you're doing it as part of an overall strategy and you have an exit strategy in place, an adjustable rate can save you thousands, even tens of thousands of dollars in interest over the term of the loan.
0: Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast, along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. If you like what you hear and you want to listen to this while maybe surfing the net, I'll give you a website where you can kill two birds with one stone. Keep listening. Keep listening. We still have a lot more to go, but check out this website. It is ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. I'll give you some points of contact at the end of the show, Um, but in the meantime, Rob, can you just maybe go over the steps really quickly during the mortgage process?
1: Sure. So there are a lot of steps during the process. So I want to kind of delve in so people know what to expect. And even though it may sound like a lot, don't be discouraged or worried, because if you have a professional advising you and guiding you, we'll be taking care of a lot of this stuff and holding your hand through the process. Good. The first step in the process is going to be that initial application, that initial inquiry with a mortgage advisor or lender, where we're going to gather some information from you on what you're trying to accomplish with a mortgage and what you're looking for, what you are trying to do. The next step, once we do that, is we're going to come back to you with like a prequalification or in the case of refinancing, we'll have an initial proposal put together on what a mortgage can do for you, how much money you would save. In the case of the home buying, it would be that preapproval amount. How much can I get approved for and what's kind of my, uh, you know, the idea of what type of properties I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. At that point, we're going to collect all your documents. Super important that we get all your documents, your pay stubs, W-2s, tax returns, divorce decrees child support orders things like that obviously we're going to have a credit report already in the file early in the stage of the process um, we're also going to need to verify your assets like money for closing or where's the money coming from retirement funds things like that so we're going to get all those documents in make sure everything is kosher everything looks good and it's uh you know it matches up with what you told us at the initial application and if everything is good to go then we can move forward to the next step now in the case of buying a home, that next step is going to be we're going to issue that letter to you or your realtor to say here's how much home you can afford now you can get out there and start looking at properties. So you're going to be going through negotiations and looking at homes and surfing the net and talking to your realtor about that stuff to kind of see what home you're interested in. Then they're going to do some negotiating. Mm. You're going to get a contract accepted. You're going to have a contract signed. That's when we move forward to the underwriting process. We order the appraisal and that sort of thing. The underwriter reviews all your documents. sees if there's any other questions or concerns that come up, then we clear the conditions on the loan, which are the questions or concerns the underwriter has additional documents that may be needed. We're going to process all the, that information and all that documentation, send it back to the underwriter for final review. Then they're going to issue the clearance for closing. That's when we can move forward with the actual scheduling of your closing, reviewing all the final documents. You sign the final paperwork and we wire the funds to your attorney or title company to actually fund your loan and get you the money that you need to buy or refinance your home.
0: This sounds like a lengthy process here.
1: I know it sounds lengthy, but like I was saying, it can—it doesn't have to be lengthy at all. And the more important thing is if you have a good mortgage advisor Walking you through, well, they're going to hold your hand and through that's every you. step. That's
0: where you come in. All right, so really quick, because i got another question i got to mm-hmm. get to, and I'm running out of time. How long typically does it take?
1: Two to three weeks on the low oh. end, up to maybe two to three months on the high end, just depending on all the different pieces of the puzzle. I would say, on average, 30 to 45 days.
0: All right. Um, all right talk a little bit about refinancing and how it plays into the long-term mortgage plan.
1: Right. So I know we've been focusing a lot on home buyers uh, yeah. today and home buying 101 and mortgages 101. But I think it's important for anyone buying a home to understand that a mortgage is not a long term, typically a long term instrument. Like, yeah, it's 30 years, but most people don't keep a mortgage 30 years. Most people only keep a mortgage a couple years. I think the average the last time I heard was around three and a half or four years that the average U.S. homeowner actually keeps a mortgage. Why? Because they're implementing strategies like we'll talk about. Refinancing is a really important part of that. So what that's going to entail is using the equity in your home to accomplish goals, which we've obviously talked about in very very uh, high detail in some other episodes so what we're talking about is going to be like getting rid of the pmi on your mortgage maybe when you bought it you had a low down payment now you've established some equity in your home we can get rid of the pmi or lower it free up some uh you know free up some money on a monthly basis also lower your interest rate drop your monthly payment take you to a 15 year a shorter term mortgage pay off your home sooner Ultimately, once you've been in the home for typically two or three years minimum, then we can start looking at strategies to tap the equity, pay off debt, buy other properties, fund investments, things of that nature. So I think for any home buyer listening right now, Mm -hmm. don't just look at it as I'm getting this mortgage. This is a death sentence. Look (laughs) at it as I'm getting this mortgage. This is the first step on my journey to build wealth with real estate. And we're going to move forward from here. We're going to evaluate this on a yearly or you know continual basis. And we're going to strike when the iron's hot to look at refinancing opportunities and opportunities to move up to continue to build
0: your net worth. How can anybody hear that and not be motivated? All right. I'm running out of time, if you can just answer one more question for me. Um, What are some of the refinancing ideas um, and opportunities that maybe a new or first-time homeowner should be aware of?
1: Right. So I think the big thing around that is when you buy your first home, typically you're going to be putting a lower down payment. It's rare that a first-time buyer puts 30 or 50% down. Yes, that happens, but that's the exception. So for most of the home buyers listening today, they're going to be putting down that low down payment. 3% to 5% down is pretty typical. So when you do that, you have that private mortgage insurance we were talking about earlier in the show. And it can be hundreds of dollars a month for a lot of people. So it's not on there forever. Um, As long as you're looking at it continually and you're looking at mortgage strategies and how they can fit in, we could have that PMI gone within a year or two a lot of the time because the home values have gone up your uh, your equity has gone up and your mortgage balance is going down every month as you make the payment. So I've had people, even as little as six months, be able to get rid of the PMI or lower the PMI on their loan. So I think that's a big opportunity for people to understand because they look at, oh, what's this pesky PMI insurance that's on my mortgage? That's one of the biggest opportunities you have is how soon can we get you out of that PMI? So I think for a first-time buyer, that's probably the number one refinancing strategy that they're going to be able to implement within six Six to twelve or eighteen months of buying their home—it's at worth. It's at least worth looking at that opportunity then taking you from an FHA loan to a conventional loan as part of that as well, getting you out of that higher cost FHA loan into a conventional loan, potentially lowering your interest rate. Maybe you didn't have great credit when you bought the house. Now you've been making mortgage payments for 6, 12, 18, 24 months. Now your credit's built. I've seen people go from 630, 640. A year later, they're in the 700s. Now you can get a different type of loan. Now you can get a better loan and reduce your outflow, reduce your monthly payment. And then the last opportunity, which is a little further out, is going to be that cash out refinancing. After you've built that equity up over a couple years, we can look at tapping it. What situations do you have in your life that could benefit from money? Paying off debt, investment, business opportunities. Where could you take the money out of your home and put it in a better spot to actually build wealth? That's the long-term strategy I want every homeowner or home buyer to get excited about because that's the one that's so seldom utilized that people are just now waking up seldom to understanding. Utilized. It's the most seldom reason people wow. refinance is cashing out equity. Most people just do it, like we said, pay off, uh, or excuse me, get rid of PMI, go to a conventional what's, what's loan. What's the
0: more popular one, though, than, than I I thought that? was what's called a rate was...
1: and term refi, oh. lowering your rate, lowering your payment, getting rid of PMI. Okay. I think the last statistic I saw on that was around 30, 35% of refinancing was cash out refinancing. So it's definitely the minority. But for those who understand it, it is the key.
0: Folks, if, uh, you've got, uh, so, you, if you're looking for more information, oh my goodness, boy, do I have a Website for you to go to. It's www.connecticutmortgagelending.com. Once again, Connecticutmortgagelending.com. If you've got a question that you'd like to have answered right here on these very airwaves, hey, maybe as soon as next weekend, boy, then get your computer going or, or your uh, your iPhone or your uh, Droid going and email Mortgage Matters Radio Show. At gmail.com. I also got a phone number. I want you to take your pen out right now and write this down because I know you're going to want to make an appointment. There's no obligation. It's no cost to you. You want to sit down with Rob Weinberg. Write this phone number down. 860-413-3938. I'll say it again slower. Could be the most uh, uh, significant phone call that you make this year. 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to the Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next Saturday, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your
1: situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.